Welcome to Chuck Shoot Podcast, and thank you for checking us out here. Uh, my guest today is music producer Jim Kaufman. So Jim has produced songs for two of my favorite bands, actually, The Black Moods and Them Evils. And if you haven't heard of these bands, definitely check out their music and check out my interviews with them. Uh, the Black Moods, I even had them perform live acoustically on the episode. Uh, they're great. Uh, but in doing my research for the episode, I found out that Jim has done so much besides producing a variety of artists, including the ones I mentioned, plus Danny Warshnop, the singer of Asking Alexandria, and Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister. Uh, he's you know, produced some newer, newer upcoming bands like Moon Fever, Night Riots, and Convey. He's just got an interesting journey how he played in an industrial metal band, and then he worked with uh, Nine Inch Nails' Charlie Klauser on the music for the movie Saw, and just lots of other cool stuff along the way. It's really neat to get a peek behind the curtain of how a lot of this great music is made. And it's just a great conversation. Check it out. Uh, welcome to the Chuck Shoot Podcast. Jim Kaufman, producer, uh, musician, composer extraordinaire. How you doing? Good. How are you, Chuck? Great. Great. I'm excited to do this. I, I learned a lot about you by uh, doing some research for this uh, interview because uh, I knew you from Black Moods and Them Evils, like I said, but man, you have a lot more that you've done over the years. It's crazy. Yeah, I've been around a long time. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. So you started, you started playing music at five years old, uh, piano. Did your, now did your parents make you take lessons like mine did, or did you just hop on it one day and figure it out? Uh, it's funny. As you said that my mom just called me, um, my mom <laughs> put me in piano lessons. Well, my, my older sister, uh, who's two years older than me started piano lessons at five. Okay. And then I wanted to do piano lessons. Um, and, uh, and so, I mean, I was in piano lessons from the time that I was like three or four. I really started like really playing at five, um, till, you know, I left my mom's house when I was 16, 17. Um, I, and my mom used to set the timer on the microwave and make me play for an hour a day, um, which I hated sometimes, but, uh, it was really a great, uh, a great lesson. So. Interesting. So why did they make you take piano? Were they musical or why did they want you to have music? Um, my father's musical. My mom, um, is kind of musical. Um, she can make her way around the accordion. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I showed some, uh, strength at it at an early age and they just really encouraged me, you know, um, my garage, my mother's garage was converted into like my, um, band room at some point and we had you know a drum kit in there and um i just uh i just dove into music i i've known since i was a small child that music is my my life so it was just fairly uh fairly lucky for that. absolutely so some of the artists that i saw um you have a, a eclectic range i mean not only of the bands that you produce but bands that you're listening to i think um, if i if i got this right like you like the bgs tool Iggy Pop, Dolly Parton, Rolling Stones, Ozzy, Muse, one of my favorite bands, Rage Against the Machine, all the 90s stuff like Smashing Pumpkins, Pearl Jam, uh, but also like Paul McCartney. So, I mean, it's very, is that, that's pretty eclectic range of music. Yeah. I mean, to me, there's two kinds of music, you know, there's good music and bad music, you know, um, I, I like don't that. really, I don't really like listen to specific genres. Um, I, uh, I listen to anything that, that moves me emotionally. Um, and that's what I'm always looking for is just that that emotional component. You know? Okay. Do you, do you agree that sometimes like, even though you may not like the, the band's whole catalog, like some bands have like at least one good song. Yeah. I mean, there's some, some bands that I love that I don't love their entire catalog. Like, like a bad faith, no more song is, 
pretty bad, you know, or a bad Soundgarden song. That's a bad song. Um, but uh, but I love those bands. Yeah, so, oh, you that's know. interesting. Yeah. So yeah. even the bands that you love most of their stuff, they still have some bad songs, too. I mean, there's very few bands that I think just, you know, have all great songs like Allison Chains to me. Um, you know, stay the Staley Allison Chains. I, okay. I can't say yeah. I, I've given, you know, all the, the newer records my time, but um, Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell together. There's no bad songs. That, uh, I mean, maybe Queen of the Rodeo and shit when they were tr- still trying to find themselves, you know, back right. in the, like early days. But okay. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great, that's a great band. Um, is there any producers that you looked up to at an early age or looking back? Are there any producers that you really admire or respect? I mean, Rick Rubin, uh, of course, uh, Dave Jordan's work. I mean, if we're on the Alice in Chains thing, Jane's Addiction, um, um, I mean, those, those records in, in Dave Jordan's world in those couple of years really changed my life. Nothing shocking, ritual, facelift, dirt, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, and then I, I actually, you know, through, being in my rock band when I was younger, I worked with a lot of great producers that taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. John Travis, Alric Wild, Alric actually worked on Dirt. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I got to kind of learn from these guys that uh, produced my band, Charlie Clouser, who mm-hmm. I then worked for for a long right. a while. Yeah, Nine Inch Nails. Uh, yeah, uh, Trent. I mean, you know, um, Trent's work on Antichrist Superstar. I mean, that's fucking epic production there. So Right. So tell me about, um, you went to this uh, school for the arts and academics. It was a Tempe charter school and you learned to play the piano and synthesis or you, sorry, you're already playing the piano, but you, that's where you kind of started playing guitar. Um, so I used well, to work in education. I started playing guitar pretty early. I was like seven when I started. Playing oh, guitar. okay. Um, um but, but yeah. so you just kind of perfected all this stuff. or what did you tell me about that school? Because I used to work in education. People always bash the charter schools. Um, which, you know, there is some bad things about some charter schools, but I just want to hear your experience being at that school. Cause that's like music specific, which I think is really cool. Oh, I loved it. I mean, you know, coming, being a, a, a music dork, um, and coming from like a regular school system where, you know, there was football players and those, you know, I was like kind of the outcast. Um, and I, I went, I started going to, to NSA my junior year, which actually ended up becoming my senior year. I just, it was just like my last year of school okay. credits to graduate, but, um, and it was all of a sudden like, Oh my God, there's other people like me. And, uh, Ron Underwood was there. Elias Mallon was there. Uh, we started opiate for the masses together, you know, a year after graduating from that school. Uh, so, and then, you know, I mean, just a bunch of other great musicians. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. I was really, I was young. I mean, I was, you know, 16 junior year and, and I was in and out. I just had one year there, but it was really kind of like, it really opened uh, me up to understanding that there's other people in the world that are, you know, are, you know, just focused on art. Focus on music. Yeah. So were you, your parents must've been supportive of you doing like a career in music. I mean, and they, they, you know, made you practice piano. They put you in this charter school. Was there anybody else like telling you like, Hey, you need to get a real job. This music thing isn't going to happen and all that. Uh, I mean, you know, for a while there was, you know, the, the parental pressure of, of having the backup plan. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, at some point just became clear that, I mean, even if I'm, even if I'm not going to be an artist, I'm going to work in music. If I'm not going to produce, I'll publish. If I'm not going to publish, I'll, manage i i can't do anything other than music i just don't have i just don't care yeah um, yeah so that <laughs> that's a really good yeah so did you have a backup plan then or it was just like i'm working in music in some capacity i mean death it was it's this or death, <laughs> you know? awesome best, i love know? it that's great yeah. so you played in a local band called projects i couldn't find anything on this band what kind of music was it um i assume you play well, the guitar in this 
rap rock. It was 99. Okay. You know? Yeah. Nice. Yep. Is this um, when you had the cornrows? I saw a picture of you with like cornrows and stuff, like long hair. It's kind of cool. Dreadlocks. Uh, dreadlocks. No, I, I, maybe I had dreadlocks then, but that wasn't my. That wasn't when I grew my real dreadlocks out. That was like a shorter dreadlock period. Okay. Um, maybe I had cornrows. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't. You know, uh, the band lasted for a year. Um, you know, before that band, I was in. I was in a band. I I basically did one band a year. I said, okay. you know, Verified Twenty One, Victims in Ecstasy. You know, all these bands I was in for one year. And then after projects, I quit projects to start opiate for the masses. And I was in that band for 10 years. And right. Then, uh, and then I, you know, haven't been in a band since. Right. Well, so, and then in, you're still in this band, but then you also took this, uh, well, I don't know if it was like a job or kind of an internship, but you're working with, uh, like you said, Charlie Klauser, who was a, the original keyboardist in Nine Inch Nails. And he was, uh, produ- I think he was producing, it was a Helmet album, right? So, yeah, I mean, Charlie produced an Opium for the Masses record. Okay. Uh, and then I kind of stayed back to, to mix it with him. Um, and then, you know, I was living in Phoenix at the time. And then um, we I moved to Los Angeles. And he uh, I worked with Charlie for a while. Uh, and during that time, he was scoring the Saw, the Saw Pictures. Right. The Saw number one. Um, and uh, and uh, we did a Helmet record during that time, which was kind of like on my plate since he was working on uh, saw it mostly. Um, and he did a great job producing the record. I just engineered it, um, did a lot of editing, that kind of stuff. And it's, it, I love the helmet record. It was, uh, my intro to big budget rock, um, and large studio. And I'm, I'm still friends, um, with, you know, I saw, I see Paige Hamilton all the time. Um, and, uh, we just did a track together uh, a couple months ago. Um, so it, you know, it kind of introduced me to a bunch of guys, you know, Johnny Tempesto was playing the drums at the time for the band. Chris Trainer from Bush was in the band. Uh, Blasco was playing bass. Oh, I've had so him on. Yeah. Lineup. Um, was it Frank Bellow on that one too from Anthrax? Was yeah. yeah. Uh, Blasco played the bass originally. We recorded the bass with Blasco, and okay. then Blasco left Helmet to do Ozzy. That's right. Yep. We recorded it with Frank. Okay. So, That's yeah. cool. Uh, yeah. So, what did you learn from working with Charlie on that record, and also the Saw stuff? You must have learned a lot uh, about production I mean, and stuff. I mean, I, I give Charlie credit for basically teaching me everything that I, I really know as far as production, um, uh, producing bands, uh, and and also like really implementing the programming, which I was previous to knowing Charlie was trying to implement on my own in Opiate for the Masses. Um, I mean, Charlie's like a programming wizard. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, just the way that he handles the synthesizer, the way that he handles uh, electronic beats, uh, manipulation of, of audio um he really taught me a lot um and he's a great dude i mean we we uh you know pre-pandemic we, we saw each other we have a our birthdays are, are a day apart um so we would see each other for our birthdays and we would do thanksgiving together but uh obviously i haven't seen him since you know the, the, the shutdown but he's a great guy um and you know obviously um i learned i learned a lot how to handle clients um just yeah. You guys have similar it. styles in terms of production because I don't know, you mentioned Rick Rubin earlier. I don't know if you saw that documentary that he did. It's really fascinating because he takes these bands and he you know takes them in this house that's kind of isolated and he's really a very hands-off producer. He doesn't seem like a real technical kind of guy. He's more about creating an aura and that kind of stuff. You seem like you're more of a technical guy, am I right? Yeah, I mean Rick's not an engineer. Rick is like yeah. a visionary and uh you know, um I engineer, I mix, um, I, I like, I love gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Rick probably likes gear too. But, uh, you know, Rick is more of like getting the songs, 
in order pre-production wise kind of dips in and out during tracking, but I I'm a tracking engineer. I love to track. Um, I love the actual process of physical recording and I love pre-production. And, um, I, I take a lot from Rick's, um, uh, you know, knowledge base on, on really that the song is King and, 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 and it should, you know, the song should be, the recording should be set up in pre-production. Like mm-hmm. You build the thing in pre-production and all you do when you're in production is just, you just knock it over, you know? Um, and um, I mean, I blood sugar, sex, magic to me, um, that it's era a great album. Production, um, the way that he handled the peppers and, and really I gave them their identity after they've, you know, they've already had this kind of young punk rock identity, right? Um, but they were still trying to figure themselves out and, and doing the funk thing and, and you know, Beinhorn did some work, and 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 uh, and Clinton did some work, and and that was cool. But when they when they got with Ruben, they became the Peppers. Um, you know, and do you I, think I do really, you like them more as the punk aggressive stuff, or the because the other stuff is a little more poppy, and some people might not I mean, say they sold out or something. I mean, I like both personally, but I I do too. I do. I I, but, I mean, to me, Blood Sugar is the pinnacle. I'm a, I'm a Frashani guy. I can't do like he's so great. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even do a Josh or whatever his name is. He was a good player, but Prashani is the is the peppers to I mean What do you, you think know, of the, the album they did with Dave Navarro then? I mean, I I'm not a big Navar- Navarro guy. I love Jane's Addiction. Yeah. Okay. But like I can't do Navarro outside of Jane's Addiction. Yeah, that is kind of like, like I love Tool, but I can't do Maynard outside of Tool, mostly just because I'm like, do more tool, dude. It kind of like I just want him them to do what I want. You right. Know? I gotcha. Totally. Yeah. So in 2005, you created your own record label, American Voodoo Records, uh, which got distrib- distribution from EMI. How hard is it to start your own record label and like get that distribution? Because that's I mean, I think anybody could say, oh, I have a record label. But to get the distribution is the big thing, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, it was challenging. Um it, the, the the label fell apart. I mean, it was uh, it was something I was trying. We, we signed I signed a couple bands that I produced. It was uh, it was just a crazy time. You know, we got the distribution deal, but then interpersonal stuff with the bands, and I was yeah, I was just out. I'm like, you know, this is just too much. I don't really want to be on the label side. I, okay, I, I would like to. I just like the making of the records. What happens to the records after I make them? is not something I really want to be involved in. Okay. You know? So the, yeah. the opiate for the masses, you're still in that band. And then, um, that was the, was that your first record that you produced was the spore. That was the first one where you're like the official produce, like you uh, have I your mean, own the thing. Record I te- technically that I put my name on as a, as a record producer was a black Woods record called Laurel Canyon. Okay. Uh, that was like, I don't know if I've heard know. that one. Is there, how oh, do you get a copy? It's killer. Yeah. That's really not cool. the the debut, right? That's like before the debut, the one with the smoke. Like eight years before the de- debut. Like we've, I've been making records with the Blackmans for like 20 years. Wow. Um, yeah. Me and Chico, we've done, I've known Chico since I was 12. He was the drummer of my first band. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean that the first album that I've heard the Black Moods, cause I remember when I heard it, my buddy was, I was complaining to my buddy, there's no good new rock bands. And he was like, Oh, you should check this band out the Black Moods. And I was like, I was floored. I was blown away. I think it might've been right around the time the second album came out, but that second album, or I I mean, I guess it's maybe technically maybe the third medicine, right? right? Um, It's like retro, but it's like, it sounds like modern sounding production. Um, I don't think there's a bad song on the record. I mean, say it for the last time. So catchy paralyzed. The hook in that is so good. Like, I mean, you don't even have to, you don't even have to try. You get me paralyzed. Uh, the way that they sing that without a warning, so many good songs. Like, uh, I mean, what's your favorite on the record? I mean, do you feel like the same way? Like every song is good. 
You know, it's it's really hard for me because um, on the Black Moods, the Black Moods, and the self-titled album, we did a we did Can't Sleep at Night, and then we mm-hmm. re-put Can't Sleep at Night on Medicine. Yeah, um, and I love Can't Sleep at Night. I remember going to Josh's studio in Tempe the day that he wrote that song, and he and they kind of played it for me. They were still fumbling around with it. I was like, dudes. So I I'm I I'm totally biased to that song. Also, I think that like the Black Moods self-titled album was just such a really fun part of our lives as a group of friends that we documented, mm-hmm. um, you know? Uh, and so I'm partial to that black moods. Like the black moods, the black moods is, is my, the black moods. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No. Um, and I love yes. it all. I love the three. I haven't heard the Laurel Canyon one though. Is that, is there another, is there other stuff that's not released that it's hard to find or. Uh, I mean, there's a whole bunch of demos. I mean, we cut up, right. we cut up, you know, we've been working on a really long time. I, I, I could probably dig out a copy of Laurel Cannon for my Dropbox and shoot it your way. I oh, think cool. I have it. That'd be so, really neat. Yeah. So do you have a theory as to why at least the medicine record wasn't bigger? Cause like I hear that record and I hear some of the shit on the radio and I just can't imagine like a program director picking some of the songs that they pick over the songs on that record. Do you think that maybe they're just, they, people weren't exposed to it? Like the, the rec- uh, you know, there's a lot of politics that goes into the record business. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, like what happens yeah. to the records after I'm done with them is not something I'm really that into. Right. A lot of politics. They were signed to a, a label. Um, and, um, you know, there is also it's also it's not just about the politics. It's about timing, like everything else. Right. Mm. And at that time, there was a huge alternative push at radio that this, you know, synthesizers, mm. um, you know, a lot of that like alt synth stuff was really popping. Um, and then, you know, the pendulum's playing back to being more rock oriented on the radio. Mm. Um, I think that record should have been, you know, massive mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I think it's a great record. I think I, I, I love that band. I love those guys. I mean, those guys are my brothers. I, I, I have nothing bad to say about those guys. Other than I think Josh should um, regrow his hair really long because his hair is... It looks like a, a fro. <laughs> Wait, is, is he, did he cut his hair? Well, when we were kids, Josh had like really, really long hair. Okay. And then he's like been chemically treating it to like make it blonde. And it just keeps getting like more curly and more up. <laughs> and it's, uh, I just miss like, you know, he's got great hair. I, I love his hair. I love I his love hair. Yeah. yeah. I just, I have to talk shit about his hair. It's a thing I do. That's funny. So wait, why didn't you work on their latest album, Sunshine? I mean, that one got a lot of airplay and radio success. And, uh, well, I mean, Johnny K did the record. He's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, at the time I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here, they're there. We've worked together forever. And, um, at some point you just kind of lose objectivity. Uh, hmm. and, uh, I think that maybe because I had made so many records that were considered unsuccessful, they wanted to try hmm. something else, hmm. which I, they've had success with, you know? Yeah. Uh, I respect Johnny and what he does. And, you know, I, you know, d- production to me is like, it's like a lens, right? So it's like, if everybody's looking at a band through my lens and the band doesn't go to where they want to go, then maybe it's the wrong lens. Hmm. And I'm not precious about that. Yeah. You do. Yeah. Cause you co-wrote some of those songs on the, on those other albums. All right. Oh yeah. I mean, I've written songs on every black moon's album, except for this new one. Yeah. Um, okay. So I mean, I'm, I've been writing with Josh and Chico forever. Do you uh, typically yeah. co-write on the band or just depends on which artists you're working with? Um, to be honest with you, the, the, the more, uh, the older I get, the less writing I'm doing on the bands that I produce. Mm. I do produce stuff that I write, but like, you know, it's hard to be objective 
with songs that you wrote. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, for me as a record producer, trying to have the most objectivity, trying to be in the audience position, but being biased because I wrote the chorus doesn't help me as much, huh. you know? Gotcha. Um, I do write. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's just um, not, not a lot, not as much recently. Yeah. What about uh, Anti-Flag? You produced one of their, uh, they're like the, a punk band. Now, mm-hmm. I always wondered, like, with the punk bands, are they really truly living that punk lifestyle? Or is it sometimes... Well, Anti-Flag a- is as punk rock as you can get. I mean, really? those guys are like, you open up a dictionary to, the, to <laughs> punk rock. No, those guys are, are, are legendary. Um, they're really, really good dudes. I mean, unbelievable. I co-produced them with Kenny Carkeet. We, uh, we did a bunch of songs at my old house. Um and then Ryan Hewitt mixed, uh, and uh, it's a great album. I love that album. Really mm-hmm. fun. And then did you also produce a band called, was it Night Riots? Is that what it's called? Yeah, Night Riots. Um, I, I did a lot of writing, actually, with those guys as well. Um, I, uh, I produced um, and mixed a song called Breaking Free off their album Love Gloom that yeah. Joe Ciccarelli produced most of. Um, but I wrote uh, three or four of, the, of those songs with the band and, and Kenny as well. So, mm-hmm. and then but, the, um, but this song breaking free is I produced and mixed. That that's, one. that's, yeah, that's a good one. And then the other big one was, uh, the singer of asking Alexandria, you've, you've done a lot of work with him. Are you still working with him as well? Yeah. 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 Danny is one of my best friends. I mean, Danny's a, a, a solid dude. I love him. I take a bullet for him. Um, and, uh, we've done two full length solo albums, uh, that are out and, um, we're in the middle of his third solo record, which I'm co-producing with Matt Good, who's asking Alexandria's producer and I'm mixing. Um, and this one, Danny wrote all the songs by himself. The last two records, um, I wrote a bunch with him and, mm. and, uh, he co-wrote a bunch with other people, but this newest record is just, just Danny writes. Yeah. Cause the latest, I think is, is it the, the latest single, another you, is that what, is that what it's called? Uh, I, yeah, I think so. But that's I mean, a great. We put out a lot of songs that aren't that aren't actually on the actual record. Okay. Like he does. So we do solo, um, um, you know, like singles. Yeah. A lot. Um, and we also put out a lot of covers. Um, so oh. we're constantly working. Yeah, because uh, so those his solo stuff is very different than the Asking Alexandria stuff. Yeah, the first record was like a country record. Yeah. Um, and good. then the second record was kind of like a smoky R and B country record. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, it, it, like a Wurlitzer and, and like you just whiskey soaked kind of thing. Uh, and this new record is kind of like, it's kind of pop driven mm-hmm. piano, like, uh, and you know, Danny's got this fucking huge voice. Mm-hmm. I mean, Danny's voice is, um, he's probably the best male vocalist I've ever recorded. Um, and so you get him out of that screaming thing. And he sings a lot now and asking Alexandria as well, which is amazing. Yeah. But um, really let him to really let him push the voice without having to match this huge, you know, metal music, which is his voice is great for, but like, you know, with the piano bass thing, um, he can really sit on top of it. And, and it's uh, it's, it's beautiful, man. I mean, he's um, Danny can sing 24 hours a day, no matter what condition he's in. You know what I mean? He can like have not slept for three days, getting off tour, flying into LA, whatever, and he can sing, no problem. You can wake him up in the middle of the night. Hey, Danny, he would sing. He's like, "All right," and he just gets <laughs> behind the mic and he can sing. No warm up, no fucking around. Jeez, impressive. That yeah. sounds like so it makes your job easier. That sounds like I interviewed Dave Fortman, who worked with the uh, Corey Taylor. He said that's how Corey Taylor was. Like Corey Taylor is just like he's just per- he does it every time, and like on the first take, he's like. 
I guess we could do another take, but that was perfect. Like you nailed it. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's how Danny is. He's always on. Um, It's pretty amazing. That's really cool. So I saw a picture of you. I don't know if you worked with him or what in 2018, you took a, you snapped a pick with D Snyder. Were you, were you working on an album with him? I'm actually working on an album with him right now as well. Oh, really? Um, he was supposed to be here today, but he had something come up. So, oh, I mean, a little, a little later, about in about an hour. Um, so, yeah, no, um, Jamie from Hatebreed um, and this guy, Nick Belmore, uh, are, you know, they produced these, uh, you know, solo metal stuff. Uh, hmm. The first album, I think, was called For the Love of Metal. Okay. Maybe. Uh, and I'm just, I'm D's vocal engineer in LA. When D wants to sing, comes over to my house and he sings. Um, wow. And he's a fucking <laughs> awesome guy. I mean, D, D's a great hang. And, oh, and also a great vocalist. D, I would put D in the Danny category. Or maybe yeah. I should say, I'll put Danny in the D category. Let's give, give D some respect. You know okay. what I mean? Okay. Um, wow. Yeah. No, I think he's legendary he's vocalist. Legend. 65 years old, fucking in great shape. Just a really good dude. You know? Yeah. What's yeah. so what's he like to hang with? You say he's a great hang. Like, I would think he'd be a good conversationalist because, you know, you always think these like a lot of these rock star guys are just dumb rock stars. But I remember when him going to the uh, the, the courts and, and talking about the explicit record stuff and and fighting for that. And he sounded Dude. super intelligent and they were not ready um, for that. And it was badass. Most of the most of the rock star guys that I know are not dumb rock stars. But D yeah. is is like the epitome of class. He's it's just a. Uh, uh, just well-read, well-versed, been around the block. He, I mean, obviously he's stood up for, for, you know, freedom of speech in mm-hmm. our, in, in music and our world. Um, and you know, he's just, uh, he's in Cobra Kai season three. I, I saw mean, that. That was amazing. Yeah, how oh, fucking cool so is that? Cool. That was amazing. You know? He actually yeah. comes over in his Cobra Kai jacket. Uh, <laughs> he has a Cobra Kai jacket. Fuck yeah, dude. Oh, shit, man. Yeah. Well, if you want to put a bug in his ear and tell him to do my show, I, I, that would be amazing. Cause I'll, I, I'll, I'll, I'll mention it to him. I will. <laughs> even you just, even if you lied to me right there, I, I really appreciate it. That's cool. Um, I will. I mean, it's easy, you know, yeah, that's he won't cool. care. I can, he can say no. I mean, yeah. You know. yeah. No, I think he already did. So <laughs> I could say no All again, right. but um, them evils. I think this band yeah. is going to be huge. Tell me about their new song. He was telling me when I interviewed Jordan, he said they have a song called uh, pour me another one. That's he's like, yeah. it's just about fucking drinking. And I was like, I got to hear this song. Is it, you think this could be like in a beer commercial or something? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a definitely, I mean, those guys are just like, you know, drinking dudes. Those that's what that band's about. <laughs> they you know? seem like I mean, it yeah. as well, but, um, they, you know, they, they're just really, really fun. I, I, um, I, I guess, you know, their old producer, uh, Cato passed away oh. uh, in a motorcycle accident. Uh, oh, and Kato and I have the same manager, okay. uh, Andrew Brightman. So we met through the, them, uh, through my management, I think. Um, and uh, we've done a bunch of songs. Um, a few of them have come out. And we've got four more that are ready to come out. Pour Me Another One is the next single. Uh, you know, big drinking song. I don't drink, but they Oh, you do don't drink anymore? Or, or did you ever? No. no, I don't drink. Did you Not ever anymore. drink or, or you just know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So was there a story there? Just stopped drinking. It just got too old or just got sick of yeah. it? Got, and you I got, got baby coming now. I'm old, man. I'm I'm almost 40, you know? Yeah. I'm over it. I drank I drank it all already. <laughs> Is that hard to be around guys like the them evils and stuff when they're boozing? And like, are you kind of feel uh, like a babysitter sometime as a producer? 
Yes, but not about the booze. <laughs> no? Did you ever see, I don't know if you're a Metallica fan, but when I was a kid, I saw a year and a half in the life of Metallica and they, they document the recording of the Black Album with producer Bob Rock. And the whole time they're just making fun of him and stuff. But it's like, I mean, he's such a good producer, but do you feel like that sometimes like your dad, like you have to kind of like babysit these bands? Um. Yeah, Oh, for sure. I, I mean, I don't, it doesn't really happen in real time in the studio as much like that. You okay. know, like I've seen that and that's, they're pretty brutal. I mean, they're also Metallica, you know? Yeah. But, uh, they were just, it, they were it, busting his balls. It was all in fun, you know? But I mean, I think that like the producer in some ways can be kind of like the unsung hero band member that kind of keeps sure. it all together mm-hmm. and pushes. Um, I push for a lot of my bands. Um, I really push them and, you know, I'm, I'm sure there'd be another guy that would step up and do it if I didn't. But, um, you know, but I they also, the it's that relationship too, because they believe in you and they trust you. If they didn't like you and you're trying to push them, they're probably not going to listen to you. Right. Well, again, I, I, the way I feel about it is the world's going to see this band through me, mm-hmm. you know, the I lens, get the lens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and so they've got to kind of have, we've got to kind of have a mutual respect because I've got a, I've got this idea of who the band is, mm-hmm. you know, and they have, they, you know, they're obviously the band and mm-hmm. they have this thing they do but I help shape that for everyone else. Right. And so it's gotta be a mutual respect. And there's also, it's also like, like with the black moons, these things kind of, they kind of ebb and flow and there's a timeline to them. It's Mm -hmm. not a forever relationship, you know, it just, uh, it works until it doesn't work and then it may start working again. You know what I mean? Yeah, for Uh, sure. And, and, and I really love, I really love it, man. I, 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 I love my job. I I have the best job on the planet. It sounds like it. Yeah. So another band that you work with, uh, is it, how do I pronounce? Is it just convey? Is that what it's called? Convey, yeah. yeah. I just uh, found those guys. Cause I saw you produce them. Um, there was a song, is it city of skin and bone? It got added to like, yeah, I love that song. Yeah. It's a great song. So it got added to this really popular Spotify playlist. Um, uh-huh. uh, and, uh, this, or no, you know, was it, was it the single nutrition? That, that was, is that the one that blew up? It had like 700,000 listens. Now I know you say you don't care what happens to these songs after you produce them, but how, oh, no, no, no. I do care about, I do care what happens to the songs. I just don't want to be involved in the right. record. Okay. Gotcha. gotcha. But that's what I'm, my point is, is like how important are, are getting on these Spotify playlists and how do you get added to them? Cause I feel like that's more important than getting played on an FM radio station these days. Would you agree? Uh, it is. It, well, it depends on the station, but, um, and the playlist, but, uh, back to con- convey is a great band. Um, yeah. originally formed in Boston love that band um but they uh you know it's really it's really important and it's really about the the algorithm that spotify uses to where um it's about how many songs you put out and how fast you put them out um spotify likes you to kind of keep putting songs Uh. on out so if you put a song out every six weeks ish you'll notice that you'll get more playlists from them. Is it better um, to do a song every six weeks than release like an album of 13 songs all at once? hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, especially right now Yeah. because everyone's sitting around looking at their phones mm-hmm. all day. Mm. People want like drip content. If you, if you threw a whole bunch of shit at them, they'd go up. Oh, mm, I don't have time to sift through this. Mm. If you throw a three minute song at them, I mean, you have to remember that people aren't like you and I, like that music is everything. People yeah. are just, you know, making cookies and walking the dog. And so they want a little bit of information to be reminded about this band. Mm-hmm. And then they go about their day. And mm-hmm. then you remind them again a month later or whatever. Okay. Uh, six weeks later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and th- so that's kind of how that works. Yeah. That was a cool one. And then another band that I found that you produced uh, moon fever. 
I love the song yeah. Cocaine. That song is so yeah. good. You have is there more stuff with them coming out? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've done like forty five songs or something. They're a brand new band. Um, they're crazy as fuck. Uh, <laughs> In and, what way? Uh, they're just out out of their minds. I love them to death. They're um, <laughs> they're my new favorite band. Uh, and they're uh, fucking awesome. And, yeah, they're out of control. Um, the singer sounds great. like the cult. He's uh, Ian Ashbury. Is that the guy? The, the singer yeah, of the cult. He. Yeah. Re- I was like, because it took me a minute. I was like, this singer sounds so familiar. And then it hit me. It was like, oh, it's like the cult. Yes, I get that vibe. I never thought about that. You just put that together for me. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it was. Uh, Cody is his name. Okay. Basically, the yeah. band is is about is is around these two guys, Cody and Mitch. Um, and Mitch plays guitar and Cody sings. Uh, they both write. Um, and uh they're amazing we've done a bunch of songs we've got and we're locked and loaded we've got songs coming out we're just putting material out okay um, and some great. of the best songs are yet to come um i'm really excited about the next couple of singles really um, yeah yeah they're awesome okay i might have to have them on my my show too if they if they be willing you, you to should do it. have them on your show they're yeah. fun guys you'll like yeah them. i like yeah it's fun too when you can get a couple of the guys sometimes i've had like the, you know like three or four band members and that that's always like a fun interview too yeah, that's awesome. Um, let's see what, is, what else you got some other people that you worked with, but, um, I was wondering how do you generally get hooked up with these bands and artists? Like, do you reach out to them and offer your production services or do they reach out to you or does it go both ways? Um, I think that like, uh, mostly my records, you know, p- bands hear my records and mm-hmm. then figure out, you know, flip it over and go, Oh, this guy, you know? And right. if you, you know, if you're familiar with a couple records that I've done that you like, then, you know, then I get the call kind of thing. Um, so it's word of mouth. Okay. Um, you know, I definitely am involved in scenes mm-hmm. like, you know, the night riots, Atlas genius, a wall nation kind of scene was a thing that I did for a while with Kenny. Um, the you know the rock thing that's going on with the black moods and them evils and moon fever that's kind of a scene yeah um so a lot of the bands talk between themselves in the scene okay um but uh you know um i'm i you know and i've also i've done this my whole life and i'm i'm 40 and all my friends do this and so it's just kind of like our group of friends the managers and the producers okay yeah a lot of networking then too what there's another scene because did you do some country? Is John Party? Is he country, right? Yeah, John's a country artist. So I have a, a publishing company in Nashville called The Song Factory. Um, and John um, was signed to the, the Song Factory as a writer for a very long time. And we mm-hmm. still work with him. But, yeah. Um, uh, he's, you know, he's like, you know, playing stadiums and shit. Yeah. And then there was another girl that just released a song. Did you produce this one? It was called, the song was called Deepest Pleasure. I don't even know how to pronounce this girl's name, but it it's sounded like, it, how do you say it? it? Joanna. Okay. It's like with an X though. And it's, it sounds like yeah. nine inch nails meets Rihanna is what I would. Yeah. Just... So I wrote and produced that. So she that has a record cool. that just came out a couple of days ago called, um, the villain. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, um, I produced it with my buddy, Joey Ariema. Um, and then, uh, her brother-in-law is monkey from corn. And so monkey played on it and wrote with us. Um, and, uh, uh my buddy, Josh Newell mixed it. Uh, and yeah, I wrote and produced, uh, all those songs with her. Yeah. That's cool. Dark stuff. I just like the variety. That must be fun for you because it's hard if, even if you're in one of these big bands, like the Rolling Stones or something like you're kind of like cut, you know, you're, or you're sorry, you're stuck in that kind of like 
band. Like, uh, you know, I interviewed a lot of these bands. Like I just interviewed lit lit. I love that band. But like, then they ma- they went and made a country record. Cause like, well, we kind of like country music. And it's like, Ooh, we probably shouldn't do that under the lit moniker, but you can produce all sorts of stuff with the, as a producer. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason that I, I left my, the, you know, the, the, the band, um, I was in the band for a long time producing a whole bunch of other stuff. And it's like, if you're an opiate for the masses, you have to make an opiate for the masses record. Right. That's all you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, eventually swinging your head around and wearing eyeliner and fucking screaming <laughs> kind of gets boring. Um, right. No yeah. No. Um, but you know, um, I'm sure it would be easier if you were playing arenas, but you know, um, you uh, but for, sure. The, for sure. Yeah. But the, um, you know, but being able to, to work on country, you know, taking a guy like Danny and making a smoky R and B country record, working with a, a, a woman like Joanna um, and doing like, you know, industrial Portisetti kind of shit. Like yeah. I can do anything. I mean, you know, cool. and, and that's what's fun. I'm doing um, a Hyro remix right now. Um, you know, uh, Hyro the hero. Yeah. Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah. Guy. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm just, I get to work with all different kinds of music. Cause again, you know, for me, there's two kinds of music and uh, right. I just want to good and bad good stuff. Yeah. So when yeah. you're recording, you used to kind of record individual tracks. Like, so for people who don't really know, like typically you'd record the drums and then you record the bass and then the guitars and then mix it all together. But now you've, you've, I don't know if you're still doing this, but I thought I heard you say that you're recording bands like live in the studio to kind of capture that live feel. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the genre because, okay. you know, obviously with like Joanna, you, right. it's mostly program stuff, sure. but um, yeah. And so my drum room's in behind this thing right here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we all just kind of play. I kind of try to get everyone to play at the same time. Then I'll overdub and delete stuff and move stuff around and whatever. But there's something magical that really happens when you get like three or four or five, you know, A-level studio musicians uh, in a room that are like feeding off of each mm. other and feeding off of the intention of the song. Um, right. Because, you know, anybody can program some drums and make it sound like a computer. Yeah. Um, but if you can really get that soul, that swing, that, that, that emotion of the song to come through really great musicians who are like being inspired by that. Um, it makes my job a whole lot easier. And it, you know, it really gets the uh, listener um, to be able to emote. And that's what I think the songwriter and the artist is really striving to do. Right. So how then do you typically uh, fix things up in post? Do you, do you change? Like if someone hits a wrong note, do you fix that or yeah, do you kind of I mean, leave some of know, the mistakes? I leave, I leave the ones that make me feel right. You know, if the mistake makes me feel the right thing, then I'll leave it. If mm-hmm. it needs, if it's like, Oh shit, that's dissonant and totally out of key. I'll nudge it. Okay. Um, yeah. But you know, the, the older I get, the less editing I'm doing because I feel like, the soul comes across. I'm also working with better musicians. So it, True. you know, they're not making as many mistakes. Yeah. Cause yeah, I haven't noticed I, anything on any of your work where it's like something sounded out of key, like ever. So, and I'm not yeah. that picky where I would go like, Oh, that's like technically a, a beat off or something like that. Probably most people don't notice that stuff. Right. Most people don't notice. Um, but I think that like, you know, for so long, for 20 years, people were making records that were snapped to grid and totally auto tuned and whatever. And, I think people want something that's different. I think people want to hear music, mm-hmm. not computer. I agree. You know? Yeah. Um, and so um, I, you know, I push to do that with every, you know, every session that I'm in. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So then with the music or sorry, the film and TV work that you've done, the music, like you said, you, you helped out with the saw, which is amazing. And then you did some of these like kind of B movies, a uh, dark reel was like a horror movie. Yeah. And then, uh, this one that I watched the trailer for this one, this looked funny wrong side of town with, uh, had a couple wrestlers. My brother knew who that he's into wrestling and jaw rules in it. And stormy yeah. Daniels is in that one. <laughs> Oh, that's right. She is. I, forgot <laughs> I didn't about know that. she was a legitimate actress. I was like, that's I kind of right. want to see this movie. What other? I have to remind. I have to watch that again. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so I, I I worked for Charlie, who did Saw. I helped him. Yeah, that's so know, cool during that time period. Um, pretty awesome. Uh, and then, um, you know, when I got out of, um, when I got out of of that situation, working for him, being on the road a lot. I started working on some, I mean, I was still in my band when I did dark reel, I think. Yeah. Um, but, uh, oh yeah. Cause my, my band's actually, you're in, in that, yeah, you're in that one. Yeah, that's right. Um, but you know, I mean, writing, writing is for, for film is super fun. It's super tedious. It's tedious. It's really? Very, yeah. It's very time consuming. It's very rewarding. Uh, and I love it, but it doesn't give me as much, I don't get like that hit that I get from, from really? working with musicians. Okay. You know, producing a band, helping a band discover their sound. You know, what really- kind of movies are you in? Is there any film TV or, or movie director that you'd want to work with and score that would be like a dream, like Tarantino or something like that? Yeah, you know, that's the that's of course the all time, you know, thing. Yeah. No, probably not cut I'm not cut out for it, honestly. Really? Uh, no, I th- I'm a record producer, man. I, I dabbled in film scoring. It's mm. not really my thing. So you're not doing any of that now? Uh, I mean, I, I do it. Uh, I work on some documentaries. Oh, I help okay. my friends that are making films, yeah. that kind of thing. But it's not it just, your passion. I don't have the passion for yeah. it. Okay. You know? yeah. So is it true? You own studios in LA and um, Sedona. Is that where you live in Arizona? Are you in Sedona, not Phoenix or? Uh, I mean, I live in Los Angeles. I'm in Santa Monica. Okay. Right now. But you have um, a studio so- in Sedona as well? I, yeah. I mean, I just have, I just have studio home studios in my houses. So I have a house in Santa Monica with a guest house. That okay. I'm in right now. Okay. And then I have a cabin in Sedona that I have a studio in. Um, and I, you know, I, I go there a lot with like bands from LA that were trying to finish the record and you know, the girlfriend and the A&R guy and the manager oh, coming over every day okay. and the guys can't focus. I'll take the singer and I'll go to, um, there's a, a band, Beware of Darkness that I did mm-hmm. that I love that, um, that we, we, um, we finished the record there, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. So it's, I'm very selective about it. The Black Moods and I, did a lot of work on the black moods record there. Okay. Um, you know, um, but, uh, mostly I'm working out of my studio in Santa Monica is the, is the house in Sedona. I'm picturing this like serene invite, kind of like that Rick Rubin documentary where it's like, you know, he's got the, is there like a river nearby or the Creek or oh, whatever? Yeah, yeah. It's right on the Creek. Um, it's oh, a very so small cool. frame. Uh, it's very, it's very small. It's very, I love it. Um, that's awesome. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a baby coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like my baby you're going to name my, my baby Sedona. Her name is Sedona. Oh, uh, and I love Sedona. It's that's great. Uh, it's the best place on, on earth. It's so it's a boy or a girl. It's a girl. It's a girl. Okay. That would make sense. Sedona. Um, so all the cool stuff that, and you've done and amazing things. Was there ever like, was there ever hard times or like adversity that you had to face or did all this just come kind of natural to you? Was it easy or did you have to work your ass off to get where you're every at? Every day, every day is hard and it's, you know, I mean, um, changing careers from trying to, you know, from being an opiate for the masses to becoming a record producer was hard. You know, I was 28 at the time. Mm. Um, and becoming a mixer was hard. Mixing is really challenging, um, for me. Um, and, uh, you know, 
uh, I'm still learning every day. Hmm. Um, and that's what I love about my career is that like when I come in this room every day, I learn something. Um, and, uh, I definitely take beginner's mind as like the thing, like I come in and I'm like, I don't know shit. What can I learn today? How do you, um, and you learn some from Charlie, uh, from nine inch nails, uh, in the beginning, but since then, how are you, are you learning from the other musicians or other producers or YouTube or just by trial and error or? Yeah, I, mean, I learn a lot from my mistakes. Okay. Um, and I also watch and read everything I can, you know, mm. all the stuff I have time to. Um, I love Mix with the Masters and, you know, Mix Magazine, Sound on Sound, um, Tape Op. I just try to consume all that stuff. YouTube's great. Yeah, no, um, that's cool. You're really into this. It's really neat to see, like, that you're, like you said, you have, you're the luckiest guy because you have the job that you love. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I saw, um, I thought I saw a picture of this, like, what tell me the story with this 1954 Martin acoustic guitar. There's like a picture of Billy Corrigan holding it and, uh, Gene Simmons. Is that yeah. your guitar? What is the story with that? Are you there yeah. when they're holding this or is this like a guitar you've so, given to somebody or that's a guitar that, um, that I got in Nashville, um, from Steve Martin, the comedian. Um, oh. it was his guitar player's guitar and they wow. were touring with it. Um, and they wanted to stop touring with it because it's like, it's paper thin. Like it's where it's super thin. Okay. Um, it, like, cause of all their, you know, crazy banjo picking and shit. They're, they're right. bluegrass picking, I should say. And I've had the guitar for a long time. Um, 1954 is a great year for guitars. I have a, um, a Les Paul that's a 54 that my dad, that was my dad's, um, since he was, you know, he bought it in 56 for a hundred bucks. And so I love, I love 1954. It's kind of my year of guitars. And so I, I bought this Martin. Um, I, I was producing Gene's kid, um, Nick at the time that, mm -hmm. that picture was taken. Josh was in that band, actually Josh from the black moods. And, uh, I snapped a picture of Gene with it. Uh, and then I produced a track for Billy and he sat right here on the couch and I got that other picture with that, that Martin. So it's just, it's just my That's writing cool. acoustic. I keep it in, in my recording acoustic. I keep it in the studio and it's, it's a great guitar. Um, and, uh, people gravitate towards it. That's awesome. Um, well, I do like to end each episode with a charity. Is there, is there charity or something that you work with? You want to give a shout out to? Yeah. Everyone should check out drop in the bucket. It's my friend, John Travis's, uh, charity. They, they build wells in Africa for people that don't have access to clean water. Oh, wow. That's uh, great. Um, might be org. Okay. Uh, and, uh, they're, uh, they're amazing. Um, they, they have saved, uh, so many lives. So that's, that's a, that's a very important, I mean, I can't think of a bigger thing that needs to be, people need water to live. So that's amazing. It's, actually, it's amazing how many people don't have access to clean water. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. They're saving the world, building these wells. So yeah. check it out. We take that stuff for granted. Well, you've done so many amazing things so far with all the bands that you produced. Um, is there any other projects that we should look out for that are coming out? Um, I mean, right now it's been, um, it's been, you know, mostly just, uh, focusing on, on mixing and, and remixing. I'm not really seeing a lot of clients other than D, uh, right mm -hmm. now, but, uh, check out Nathan Harrington. Okay. Uh, he's a, uh, from Phoenix, uh, reggae artist that is, uh, awesome that I'm producing. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm always putting out new stuff. So, okay. Well, people, yeah. Can we can follow you on social media and then keep up with all your, uh, uh, bands that you're producing. You need, I think you need to update your website though. Some of the stuff was like, working on that yeah, yeah so but we de we yeah. definitely uh, talked about a lot of the cool projects that you have in the last few years and they should be on that website too yeah i i'm on it cool thank man thank you so much brother i appreciate thank you, you jim i appreciate it tell d i said hi i will <laughs> all right see ya all right later man what an energizing conversation uh if you like music i don't see how you couldn't enjoy that interview jim is such a passionate guy who 
really puts his heart and soul into music. And I think that comes across in the finished product. And I think that's why I'm such a fan of his work. Uh, I really look forward to even more new music from him and the artists he produces. Definitely check out the Black Moods, those first two albums, Them Evils, Moon Fever, all the work he's done. I really think he's a brilliant producer. Follow him on Instagram to keep up with him. And if you enjoyed this interview, uh, check out some of my other interviews, like my interviews with the Black Moods and Them Evils. Uh, You can follow me on social media to keep up with me for future episodes. You can subscribe on YouTube, and then you'll get notifications whenever I post new stuff. If you want to support the show, you can share my stuff on social media, rate me a review on iTunes, or donate to the Venmo. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, shoot for the moon.